sold ProfitWell and everything is terrible. You're lying. I know, I'm kidding. Welcome to Tradeoffs, where Neera's Heaton Shaw and Paddle's Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product-first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about ProfitWell's acquisition. When it is a successful acquisition, there's a match and the match is just obvious to everybody, which is what it feels like you folks have landed on. And that's like the best kind of acquisition you can have. The transition process. It's not a control thing. Like everyone thought, oh my God, you're going to have a boss. Oh my God, you're going to have like a job again. That's actually not what happens. And much more. You got to understand what you want, who you are, because it's, it's probably not going to change. What's up, dude? You've been busy. Ethan! We're back. It's been right. it's been a little while. I think people thought we were dead uh, right. until we announced <laughs> uh, the acquisition of ProfitWell. Yeah, for those listening, this was all my fault. Uh, I kept canceling our recordings, and he knew exactly what was going on because, of course, I was like, "Hey, man, this is what's up. I needed advice." But yeah, sold ProfitWell, and, and that means trade offs went on a six month hiatus, basically. But it's good to see you, man. Like we, besides texting, we didn't really talk until last week. Last week we were going to record, but then we spent like two hours just chatting and catching up and stuff like that. But how have you been, man? How's Nira? Good. How's yeah, it's good. Cranking away. Yeah, things are things are good. But we're not here to talk about me today. We're here to talk about you and the adventure you just went on. So let's jump right in. Like what what you tell me. I mean, acquisitions are always fun stories. So and I think yours is a very interesting one considering the space you're in. So like, yeah, dude, like, like catch everyone up real quick and then let's dive into some really interesting discussion around it. So I've been on like a podcasting tour. So this will be our safe space where I explain all the things that I'm not trying to sell you on or anything because it's you. But just to catch everybody up, if you haven't seen, uh, which means you pretty much haven't followed either of our Twitter feeds because I've been asking you to retweet stuff. Basically, uh, sold ProfitWell to a company called Paddle. The really quick and dirty of it, uh, deal price was over $200 million. We're not saying the specific price, all that kind of fun stuff. It's really weird when this type of stuff happens where you're like not giving away like all the details, but that's just I, I like that now. you're addressing that up front, at least for our conversation, because it's nice to get that stuff out of the way. Because most of the time, those things aren't that interesting, except for the people involved that got the money, right? <laughs> and got the acquisition and all that, because there's still so much more to do after. So yeah, I'm glad you're getting that out of the way. hundred percent. And I think it's also like, that's part of the reason like we're not publishing everything is like this isn't we handed over the keys and we're just leaving this is very much like like we had the opportunity to sell in a situation where we just gave the keys over and kind of left or like rested invested but like we didn't want that we wanted to kind of keep going um and we wanted more resources and so that was like the big impetus was like we were gonna either raise money um, we didn't even think about selling and then it was like oh this is another way to get resources if all of these check boxes are checked and that's you know eventually what paddle did and so yeah the other podcasts go deep on like deal stuff the one thing i'll say is like just make sure you have a couple of deal sherpas like you were one of them for me um, I had two other people I can't name publicly just cause there's a little bit of privilege kind of information, but like those three people I would ask, like, this is what's going on. What do you think? Like pretty frequently. And I would get different answers, but I was able to kind of like, you know, triangulate how to make a decision. Um, that was really, really helpful, especially without a banker. It's also one of the most ner nerve wracking processes that someone can go through as exciting as it might be. Uh, just because there's so many different things that you got to knock off. I'm not going to share more. That's for you to share whatever you want to. But man, it can be nerve wracking every single time I've seen someone do it. Like I had a friend that just recently did something similar. I made the original intro 
Uh, I was an investor in the company. I made the original intro to the acquirers and like, yeah, the back and forth with her about the deal and how she's feeling and all that kind of stuff. You need help, at least even just to gut check yourself regardless, whether you, even if you have a banker or not, because oftentimes it's not that bankers are self-serving or anything, but they don't have the same context that another founder might have. They have, have a different incentive. Yeah, yeah, and their incentives are and also so very lawyers. different. So, so you, you do actually have to be careful how you speak to them and what you say to them more than I think most people realize. Yeah, and three things if anyone goes into a deal besides the the getting your Sherpas. One, your close friends or loved ones, just tell them what the fuck's going on or as much as you can. Like I pretty much told Jenny, I was like, I know I've asked a lot of you, like just in general in life, like this is where I, like you just need to support. Like, like I need you not, I need not to talk to you one night. I need to talk to you one night. Like I have to control the agenda for six months. Like you just, or like whatever, how long it takes until it's done. It's going to be very emotionally like all over the place because there's the emotions of like selling something. There's the emotions, even if you have a party that's like all about it, like you're still like very, oh my God, are they asking this for this? Is this You're thing still negotiating all the way till the stuff. end, right? There's, it's not until done until the money it's is done. cleared. And yeah, there exactly. were literally, literally the day we signed, there was stuff we were negotiating still. And it's little stuff, like all the big stuff's asked past that. And then the third thing, something I haven't said publicly, um, have a red phone to the business side of the other party. This was something where like the lawyers would get all crazy and then I would just go to Christian and be like, hey man, I don't know if this is a thing. And what ends up happening is like, there's a thing, your lawyers come back to you, you go to your lawyer, your lawyer goes to the other lawyer, your lawyer goes to the other business person. Then it comes back through their lawyers to your lawyers to you. And it's like, it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's for a reason it's set up that way, like from a liability perspective, but like it's dumb sometimes. Like it's dumb to the point of like, it costs more money to go back and forth than to actually make a decision. So yeah, and then we filmed a documentary as as one does, as we do uh, with this type of stuff on it. It's at wesigntomorrow.com. It's like 20 minutes. We had a documentarian do it all. But like that's that's kind of the stuff up to up to that point. But I think what's interesting is it's been 12. We closed like April 28th, right around there. We announced like May 25th or something or another. So it's been like since let's just say May that we've officially been a company. And that's the other thing that's kind of funny. Like Everyone will start acting like we're a part of a company. And then you as the deal person have to just be like, no, shut the hell up a second. Do not share all that stuff. Do not keep going. One, because there's liability. Oh, we're going to share this list. No, we can't. They don't own us yet. <laughs> like they physically don't own us yet. You have to be very careful with that stuff Two, Like you'll be sitting there and, and you'll be like, well, I don't want to go do all that work if this falls through and it doesn't look like it's going to fall through, but like it could, you know, and so there's all these mind games. But anyways, since like, let's just say May 1st been working together and like we're over the honeymoon. I think that's the best way to describe it. And that's okay. Like it's not like everyone's very You're, you're in the integration process pretty deep now, right? Like I don't want to like be like putting a lipstick on a pig. It's brutal. It's pretty brutal. And it's not like. It's again, everything you think about this stuff, like what I've been saying to folks internally is like everything I thought we would have problems with, politics, egos, people protecting their dog bowls. We have like very little of that because the cultures are so aligned. And that was a big thing that we really looked for is like, how do you handle conflict? How do you handle things? Like there's differences. There's absolutely differences. But like the overarching part of it is like, we're not dealing with like that type of stuff. Everything I thought we wouldn't have problems with, we're like having problems with. Like everything we thought about, like 
we just assumed you guys were good at that. They just assumed we were good at this. Like, and it's on all sides. I think there's a little bit of asymmetry because, and I didn't realize this, but it's, it's natural. They did so much diligence on us because they're buying us. Right. So they know kind of everything, right? They know how we think a lot more. We did not do anywhere near the diligence on them because that's just not how it's you not do how it, the right? process typically works at all. Totally. And you, we kind of did that. Like we were like, are we 80% aligned on these X things? Right. And that, cause you can get to that really quickly. The last 20% could take a year. Right. And so the first 80%, are we aligned on this? And then we like signed the term sheet in January and then it was just like, let's go. Right. And so I think that like, that was a really tough thing to deal with because we were sitting there and all of a sudden we were like, oh, cool. We're going to just get going with these six things or whatever. And then it was like, oh, wait, like you guys don't have that or you guys don't think this way or we thought you were going to take this over and I guess we're taking it over. Right. And there's a lot of that that like starts, I think, on the exec team. So the exec team kind of norming and storming has been really interesting. Right. Because you have not only like a bootstrap company and then a heavily venture backed company like coming together again, cultures are so aligned, but even if it's 20% misalignment, that's a lot of friction. Right. And there's no like volatile, there's no ego. There's no like people getting super upset. It's just literally like, it feels like some of the conversations we're having are very like walking through water. Like there's just an extra tax. Cause you're just like, Oh, I haven't had to prove I'm good at this thing for 10 years, <laughs> you know, and it's totally reasonable that I should have to prove that again, but I don't want to, right. You know, there's that type of stuff. And so I think that's been really interesting. And so the exec team is feeling it. And then we do a lot of storming amongst the exec team and norming. And we just had our, like our first offsite since the acquisition and it felt so good. It felt like we were having the right conversations. It was exhausting because it was like two days that were just full in Portugal and the Portuguese it takes six hours to have dinner because nothing is ever on time. But like, that's what added the exhaustion to it. But long story short, like it felt so good. And it was like, holy cow. And then the week after that, it was like every meeting we were having just felt so good because we were like working together. But then, oh, the leadership team and the rank and file of the company are pissed off. <laughs> like both sides, right? Like there was feedback from someone on Paddle's side who's like, I thought we acquired them. <laughs> like, it seems like they're taking over this part. And then someone on our side is like, well, I know what they got from us. What did we get from them? Right? And, and everyone, everyone's like, again, well-intentioned, right? Like everything, everyone's well-intentioned and no one's like being pissy, but it's, it's like a thing. Right. And then us as an exec team, some of us are talking about it. We're like, we're not even looking at like that. We're looking at it as like, what's the best idea here? Like, let's figure it out. Right. And so I think that the thing I would say is, is like one thing we're finding is we just kind of assumed like, oh, this is our integration plan. And we have an integration plan, but we just kind of assumed like, oh yeah, we'll figure like that does, that's not this like high priority number one thing we have to figure out because yeah, we'll just come together and we'll just do work. Right. We'll just like do work and it'll be fine. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we should, we should get back to this plan. So I literally was having some meetings today about like, oh yeah, like we should, we should like have this person who's in charge of this go talk to the profitable people and just be like, this is the person, like the main person in charge of this. So if you feel like this is not going well, like let's talk to them, right? So many people are so happy and it makes so much sense from a product perspective and from a culture perspective and a mission perspective. So it's it's not like 
Like, it's not bad. It's just like, oh, I didn't realize this was the thing that was going to be troublesome or this was the thing that was going to be troublesome. And and then you just work through it. And I have no problem admitting this. And you should tell me if we should delete this uh, from from the pod if, you, if it's really bad. But like, I've had five days where I didn't want to go to work. And like two of them have been in the past couple of months. And I went to work and everything. And it was it was just because of like, emotional like tax like and it was not like oh my god i'm not in charge i don't i'm not like like that has not been hard at all what's been hard though is like oh man we have to like go talk through all of this stuff and i just don't want to go through all that emotional stress again well you were running your own company it was your company you were running and it was self-funded and and i don't mean to say oh you're not you care whether you're in charge or not in the same way because i'm sure you have plenty of responsibility where you're at but you didn't hire, this is the, the thing I even told someone when we were in acquisition talks at one of my companies. I was like, I'm having fun what I'm doing with what I'm doing. There's someone on your side that I don't know if I'd have fun with to continue doing things the way I am. And that's the thing I'd wanna work out. And then I pointed that out to their investors and everybody, whether that made the deal not happen or not, that wasn't the point. The point was to address this so that they know who I am, what I care about. Right. And if that's cool, great. We can go deeper. Right. And I think that, like you said, you don't get to have those conversations. Typically, if you're the one that's being bought, you know, this wasn't like a, a serious conversation. And I figured that I might as well just tell the person that and see what they think. And But that's not the smart thing to do if you're looking to get a deal done. So then now you're inside the house, so to speak. It's not your house yet, but you do own pieces of it ju just just by what your role is all of a sudden. And now you got to figure out how you can accomplish the common goal. And I think that like it's very different than than what you've been used to for what, 12 years, 10 years, like some not short amount of time, you know, and I even, you know, I remember when I first met you, uh, you know, one of the things that impressed me the most is your ability to articulate what you were doing and why, because you were, you're trying to sell me to, to use, use your uh, services at that time, right? That's what got me to be like, oh, wow, like, you know, I, I think Patrick's like really impressive when it comes to this stuff. I'd like to work with him. And that's not something you get instantly when you go join another company. That credibility, that ability, it's, it's very different when you're coming from a position where like you have been acquired. So I feel like this is pretty much very personal and that's not a bad thing. And it's also very normal because you're sitting in a very different environment almost overnight because you don't have any time to prep for this. You don't really know how it's gonna be. If you've been through it once before, which most people haven't been through acquisitions like yours ever, right? So, and most people don't go through it more than once typically, right? Then maybe you'd have some visibility into how you're gonna feel. So I, I greatly empathize with your feelings there and I totally get the kind of almost emotional shock that can happen as you learn how to operate in this new environment. Because it is a new environment, no matter how you look at it, right? Um, so anyway, just wanted to say, it makes sense. I appreciate you sharing that. A lot of people wouldn't share those kind of things. Yeah, and and to be super clear, because obviously I'm still there and I want to be very, try to be as clear as possible. Like, it's not a control thing. Like, everyone thought, oh my God, you're going to have a boss. Oh my God, you're going to have like a job again. That's actually not what happens. Like at least for now, right? Like it's funny, Matt from Summit was like, you have the black card of roles, 
right? Like you don't have, like you can have whatever responsibility you want. Like I'm the chief strategy officer and such. And it's very true, right? And I think that like, it's not about that to me. It's not about like, oh, I don't have control. I can't make decisions. Like, I think that's a very, very important thing to point out because I think that's what people anticipate. For me, it's been, oh, I'm used to going so quickly on this and now we're not going quickly. And some of those things are so obvious to me that it's so weird, like almost arrogant of like why we're not going fast or quickly on that other thing. Right. And that's, and then there's other things, which is kind of the opposite where I'm like, oh my God, we're going so fast to this. Why aren't we slowing down? Right. Like it's this weird feeling of like pace and tempo. I talk about tempo a lot internally. And I think that like, what's been really interesting is that's, that's where the stress comes. The stress comes in and this is what you should be prepared for if you have an acquisition, even if it's small, the stress comes in like the extra tax, as I've been describing it, on going faster than the, the org that is, ends up being the final org or going slower on certain things when they want to go faster, right? And I think that's where the stress comes. And it's just storming and norming, right? And so I think what I found, I had a conversation with Brad Coffey, who was the chief strategy officer at HubSpot. And I was just like, hey, man, like, here's what's going on. And literally in the halfway through explaining, he's like, hold on a second, let me talk to you. And I was like, what's up? He's like, dude, it's going to take six months. Like your time horizon right now is yesterday. And this is just not how it works. It's not how it works. You took two large ships. It doesn't matter if one was larger than another. Like you took two ships and you're like, cool, now we're one ship. And you guys chose the hardest path, which is Fuck who's going to take over product. You're going to be chief strategy officer, which is kind of an ambiguous thing. You got to figure out what you're doing. You have a sales organization that's going to keep going. Your marketing teams are going to merge. Like you guys chose that path rather than like a subsidiary type path. And that's just the hardest path. And he was like, yeah, when we acquired Performable, which was kind of the same time that like HubSpot was like three, 300 people, they acquired Performable, Performable took over a large chunk of the business, like all this other stuff was happening. And He's like, you have the growing pains of 300 to 350 people, which is like hard enough. Then you guys threw an acquisition on top of it. And then you're in kind of an uncertain market. Like you got to be patient. And I, as soon as I had that phone call, like four or five weeks in, I was like, okay, all right. Yeah. And this, my time horizon changed. I'm still going quickly, but like, it's like, it, it's also one of those things. The other frustrating piece was like with this speed thing. It's not like anyone is like against the things we're talking about, right? It's not like I'm like, we should do A and everyone's like, no, we should do B. It's like, yes, we should do A. But the way we do A here is this way. And then I'm like, well, should we do A that way, this way? Oh, no, we shouldn't. And then it's like all those conversations to kind of figure it out. And that's what's really frustrating. And I don't know. I think that if I didn't get along so well with a lot of the execs. I didn't think that the product vision was so unified. I didn't feel like, ultimately, if I didn't feel like I had so much leverage here to like increase my outcome substantially, like I would be very upset, but I'm really optimistic. Like today I woke up in the first few hours of work, I got really optimistic on things and I'm having more optimistic days than, than pessimistic days. Um, and it's trending up over time, which is great. So yeah, I just went through like the post honeymoon stage and then now it's like, Part of the team is going through the post honeymoon state. Part of the team's also like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Everything's great. And we're like, awesome. Just keep that mindset. Like, just keep going with that. And then there's like, yeah. And then there's part of the team who's like, oh, it takes two weeks to get this, you know, because we just, we're different, right? And I, and it's now I'm able to help them because I can go, 
yeah, yeah, I felt like that four weeks ago. You guys will feel better like because of X, Y, Z. You know, these are some things we're good at that we can bring here. These are some things we're bad at that we can get here, right? And it, it helps the team kind of work through things. I do think you realize because the things you're bad at some of those things we just didn't value or didn't work on, right? And they're kind of nice to have, but some of them we just don't value as well. And so what that creates is an environment where you feel like we are a lot better at certain things than I thought we were. <laughs> like in the sense of like, there's so many things that just going through a deal process where I'm like, oh, I'm pretty. You guys think I'm pretty. I didn't know I was pretty. Like this is this is really cool. Like this is cool. And I think that's great because it 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 kind of gives me some confidence in some of the decisions we made where I'm like, cool, that was that was the right decision. They value that decision that we made three years ago. And you know, it's part of why they bought us, you know, that type of a thing. So yeah. Is this interesting? I think this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, let, let's switch gears though. What I want to know about is more so kind of some of the stuff that we would talk about. I know we're rusty. Uh, on kind of a normal, whatever that means, podcast that we would do. And so the questions I have are more focused around what was your, the basics, and then we can build from there. But like, what was your business? What is their business? You mentioned that it's more of a merger of sorts, right? Obviously one company bigger than the other, but still a merger, right? In terms of mindset, which is kind of what Brad was referring to with the HubSpot thing where you have to integrate, not something where you get to run independently as like the goal. The goal is integration. So if the goal is integration, you know where I'm going. I wanna know all about kind of the strategy, the product, how you're thinking about that, how you're thinking about competition now, because when it's one plus one, it usually needs to equal three or no one would do the deal, right? So can we start with the basics though of this was your business, right? Like an analytics company focused on subscription analytics and helping people with pricing and packaging and optimizing all that. I know I didn't say it perfectly, but that's kind of my impression. And then Paddle is a company that powers payments, right? Yeah, just just break it down and then let's get into kind of the nitty gritty of kind of the strategy, whatever you can share. And then I've got some more questions. Totally. So starting with what what is what is profitable do, right? So we exist or we existed, we still exist to automate your subscription growth. So the idea is is that you should be able to plug Profitwell into your billing system, charge be Stripe, Braintree, Zora, Recurly, Chargeify, Recharge, Piano, whatever you're using for subscription management. And then we give you a bunch of free metrics and reporting, all for free. And then we study that data and build tools to automate your churn reduction. We reduce your cancellations, optimize your pricing, and then a whole suite of things that we were going to, to build to. And so very outcome-based, meaning like you plug it in, there's an outcome, and we even charged based on performance. So like if we didn't lower your churn, you didn't pay anything. And then when we lower your churn, you pay like a fee, but your ROI is typically like five to 10 X or more. So right? when you make money, um, so that was kind when of the they idea. make money, you make money. When your customers make money, you make money, right? Because of you. Yeah. hundred percent. Exactly. And what made us like very f popular was, was two things. One, we had a very good freemium product um, or we have a really good freemium product. So the free subscription financial metrics reporting is used by right now there's about 30,000 companies using that, which is a substantial part of the subscription base. And we have about $30 billion of ARR flowing through our system, which is a lot of data that we can study. So that's us. And then Paddle. Paddle is what's known as payments infrastructure, which I didn't really understand, to be honest. Like I knew they were different than, than like a Chargebee and a Stripe, but I didn't know how, right? And everyone kind of asks like, 
oh, they're competitive to Stripe, right? Because they're payments. And it's like, not exactly. The, the best way I've learned to describe it so far, and there's a better metaphor somewhere, is like you have a product that you're trying to charge someone for. You have a couple options, right? So Stripe created roads and you can choose to build like a truck on top of that road and whatever complicated like logistics network that you want to use on top of that road, right? And then Charge B was like, oh, you see these roads? Like we also have trucks, like we'll give you the truck that rides on the road and you can change whatever road you want. You want to use Braintree, Stripe, whatever it is, but we'll give you the trucks and then you can set up your logistics network, right? What Paddle did is Paddle was basically like, okay, we not only will help you manage what road to go down, we also have the trucks and we're kind of like the logistics center, like the 3PL that you buy. And what that means is, is when you're using Paddle, if you have a customer in Bulgaria, Paddle will go, oh, it's a Bulgarian customer. And what that means is we're going to make this charge go through checkout.com because checkout.com is better in Bulgaria. But if another customer comes and they're from the US, we're going to go, nope, we're going to route that through Stripe. And you don't have to do anything. It's completely done for you. So, so are you saying Paddle integrates with Stripe? We are one of the top 200 customers of Stripe. That's what a lot of people don't understand. You mean integration? Platform integration. Uh, no, 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 not even integration. Customers. We are customers Stripe. We send Stripe hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Paddle is a Stripe customer. Yes. So what happens, but instead of you as like an engineer or billing person having to figure out like how to integrate Stripe and when to route through checkout.com or Adyen or Stripe, we do all of that for you. So it's kind of like what we do for Profitable, but you plug it in and all of your billing is handled. Your taxes are handled. We pay all of your taxes for you, meaning like we don't just calculate them. We literally make sure you're compliant in not just Prague or the Czech Republic, but like the certain street level in Prague and Czech Republic. And we port the money to them, whatever needs to go for like VAT, international taxes. Chargebacks are completely handled. You don't have to touch another chargeback again. We just handle it. And if it wins, you get all the money. We don't even take a fee. Everything's handled for you. And so their whole concept was, we run subscription companies. So, so why wouldn't right? everyone who uses Stripe and is trying to make money online use Paddle as well? What's the missing? What am I missing? Well, for one, I didn't know we automatically handled chargebacks until a month ago. Uh, and so I was like, why aren't we talking about this every day? Like, because this is this and taxes are the Cause, most annoying cause, things uh, I'll be I'll company. be candid because I have no skin in this game. But like, I don't understand why people don't know about Paddle. And... and, and I've never been able to wrap my head around it, even when we've talked until today, right now. It's really interesting to me. I even see more clearly why this was a very strategic acquisition for them. Let's just put it that way. Here are some ideas. And this is why we were like, we had options to go somewhere else. And we were kind of like, I think there's a lot of like gold in these hills. Because for one, I think the positioning, and, and this is being worked on by Andrew, the CMO and team, the position and Andrew's like new as of like Andrew kind of came in when we did basically, which is which is really kind of cool to to be a part of that um, and kind of come in together. This is what's called a merchant of record, and I think a lot of these billing companies they ride the jargon a little too much. And what I mean by that is, like Stripe basically was like we make billing enjoyable, right? Like I don't remember their exact phrasing, but they were like, you know, billing your devs will love. It was kind of like the Twilio model. And it was kind of like fine because people hated billing so much. Like auth.net was so terrible. 
But I think what ended up happening is like, so that's a lot of the the jargon I think that is being written right now by paddle just because it's the nature of the space. Like, who do you compare this person to? But I think the problem is, is like, as I was kind of explaining, you probably could see it. It's like, these aren't the same thing, right? And it's hard. Like this goes back to positioning, right? It also goes back to the original kind of freemium value prop that you folks got into, which is like, we only make money when you make money. Right. And, and that idea and that concept of like, you're helping me make more money, you're optimizing things for me is kind of what didn't click about paddle to me. Well, so far. And this is where like the combined mission is we help you run and grow your subscription company automatically, automatically being the key operative word, like we do it for you. And I think that that messaging as it gets out becomes compelling because now, like just from a tactical perspective, Cause we get asked, so you're like, even our pricing, it's like, so we charge more because we have all this overhead. Like the thing that people don't realize we go to jail. If we get your taxes wrong, you don't go to jail. We go to jail, right? Like we hold all that liability. So we charge 5% rather than 2.9% just for like payments. Right. And so it's like, people are like, well, you compete with Stripe and you charge 5%. Like, why would I use you? Right? Like that's like the, the common parlance. And so I think it's one of those things of just like. But it sounds like you're more of a layer. You're more of a layer on top of all these payment systems. You're actually partnered with Stripe, so I, I feel like from an objection handling standpoint, that's very easy. Hundred percent. When you say, "Hey, look, this two percent," and there's some clear ROI calculators here. This two percent. Here's what it would cost you. <laughs> it would be a lot more than two percent without us. And plus, you already get the benefit of us going through Stripe when it makes sense to go through Stripe, us going through other methods when it makes sense. And then here's the ROI on that. It's extreme at, at you know, probably a certain probably a certain scale, not every scale, small scale. I think it might not matter. Maybe international. It matters more even at a small scale. And then as you get, let's let's say my guess is three to five million in revenue. Right. This starts becoming meaningful. Yep. So we naturally see and we saw this at ProfitWell. As soon as someone reaches about 850,000 in annual revenue, they start getting like agitated about their billing. Like I need to go somewhere else, right? That's kind of how they feel. And I think what's really fascinating is like it's kind of becoming like a two to three horse race, but all of the horses are very different. Everyone's like, oh yeah, you guys compete with Stripe. And then as soon as I go, no, we are a top 200 customer of Stripe, they go, wait, what? And then they're, and then I can explain. And then it's like, Oh, interesting, right? And I explained the Bulgaria thing and the Stripe thing, and they're like, oh, shit, I get it. To me, it's you know, also partially it. not even like you're a top 200 customer of Stripe, because I think that I get why people get curious with it, but to me, it's even more direct, which is like, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, like when you use Paddle, you're using Stripe. Or Checkout.com or whatever. Yeah, well, you're yeah. using the right payment method for the right purchase, right? And like that, that to me is even more compelling, again, we're not supposed to workshop this right now, but I'm still gonna because I think I find it fascinating and we haven't talked about this on this level. But like, to me, it's not that you're a 200, you're, you know, you're a top 200, whatever Stripe customer. To me, it's more like you're not replacing Stripe when you use Paddle. That's the thing people get agitated about, which is like, wait, Stripe's so awesome. Obviously they have a great brand, blah, 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 right? Paddle being an alternative to Stripe makes no sense. Like you almost want to address it like, look, we're not even an alternative to Stripe. We're, we're, we're a tool that you use in addition to Stripe. It's just different on how you use Stripe now because you're not worried about X, Y, and Z anymore. Your engineers are not going to freak out about implementing ABC because we've already taken care of it. And more importantly, we optimize your revenue 
in that process, right? Which, you know, you could get into categories and stuff like that. There are some old school revenue related categories that I wouldn't touch for a bunch of reasons, but there could be a resurgence of that kind of thinking, which is like revenue optimization and stuff like that. But like, yeah, to me, like this was actually the reason I'm pumped and I'm, I'm kind of really thinking through this out loud is because like, to me now there is no debate of, is this something where I want to compare it to Stripe anymore? To me, it's, it's more of, do I want standalone Stripe? Or I do I want paddle with Stripe built in? That's kind of the way that that it's shaped up in my head now. Because obviously with ideal customer profiles and intent and stuff like that, you should be able to figure out who's in your sweet spot that will resonate with what you're thinking about. For example, again, this is all dumb stuff, but it's just in my head. If you see that they have a language selector on their website, they're probably a potentially lucrative customer for paddle or a relevant customer. Right. Um, so there's just some some small, small but meaningful signals there that would kind of lead to someone you're talking to resonating with the fact that, oh, you're not ditching Stripe because of Paddle. I think that's the big, big aha for me that unfortunately I didn't understand. Well, I think it's also like it's not an easy thing to explain in like 30 seconds or even five seconds, let's say. And this is what's interesting. Like something I've been thinking about is like I'll push back there. You just haven't found the words. Yeah, that's probably true. I've missed I've missed the limit the limiting belief challenging uh, of of our podcasts and conversations. Oh God! But <laughs> no, no I, I truly believe you haven't found the words. Why would I want you to think that? <laughs> right? No, that's true. I do think it's one of those things. Like, I'm pretty pumped. I think like the honeymoon stuff as we like get through that. Like, we probably got another few months of getting through that, and like. Again, everyone's so earnest. Like that's what's so weird about it too. It's like one of those things where like everyone wants to succeed. It's just like, ah, where are we going? You know, like one of those feelings that you're like, it almost makes it worse because you're like, if there if there's someone who's being an like it would it would be so much better because it was like, oh well, I hate this person, blah blah blah. But everyone's like trying to succeed. But I think the product stuff and the positioning stuff will take some time. Like Andrew and then the recur our recur team have like some really dope like ideas around like how to start getting this messaging across. Like, does your billing go to jail for you? Like we'll go to jail for you. Like stuff like that, I think is really, really powerful. Cause it's like, wait, what do you mean? Right. And then like, it allows us the opportunity to kind of explain things, but it's interesting. But I think the product vision, what are your parting thoughts here? I know we went into the product stuff, the strategy, the integration. I'm pretty inspired by the fact that you don't actually compete with Stripe. I'm dying to give you five minutes on what you just said about positioning, but not on the podcast because uh, I have some very strong opinions there. But like, I don't think I've said this to you and now I can say it on a podcast. Congratulations. You don't get a congratulations Thanks, when man. you raise money, but you definitely do when you sell your company. There we go. <laughs> so congratulations. That's the only one I, I wanted. Super, super pumped for you. You know, one of the things I love about you, Patrick, is like how much you, you, you learn and teach in the open. I'm just glad we're back in the podcasts are going to get more and more interesting as you kind of go through this journey. So I, I think it was really cool to hear kind of how you thought about it from multiple facets, whether it's the acquisition part or even this kind of strategy stuff, because when it is a successful acquisition, there's a match and the match is just obvious to everybody, which is what it feels like you folks have landed on. And that's like the best kind of acquisition you can have, despite, you know, any of the bad days uh, and things like that. Thank you for that. Two thoughts on that. One, it does feel good and terrifying because it's like, if we don't figure this out, it's all because of us, like the the execs really and like the people coming together. 
And that's like a terrifying thought, right? Like if it was like, well, this might not work and this might not work. It's kind of like, oh, you know what I mean? Um, the second thing is like, I really appreciate that. Thank you for saying those kind words. One of my first reaction is like, yeah, and I do it not like one of those build in public doofuses. No, I'm just kidding. But um, no, that's that's different, right? That's why I didn't say build in public. I'm right? just kidding. No, no, I'm just saying I I'm said totally it very kidding. deliberately, I was just right? A joke. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I was just making a stupid joke sure. that yeah, like 12 people will get, I get it. and then six of those 12 will be offended. So that was great. That was a really great comment. Yeah, good job, me. bro. I don't have a boss. I don't have to worry. Here we go. The second thing I was going to say is like, it's so weird, like having an exit. Like, and this is such a champagne thing, like you will understand and maybe like 10% of the people, unfortunately on the call understand, but it's like, you just keep going. Yeah. Like, it, I'm just going to keep so going. Weird. Yeah. It does also depend who you are. And like, if this was an acquisition where you were selling the business, but not yourself, so to speak to the company, I think you might have a different mindset, right? Cause you, you'd probably be struggling with what do I do now? Um, but you're in a case where it's like, no, I have a lot to do now. And like you said, it's up to us as, a, as the executive team, you folks, to basically figure it out. So people have asked like, oh, money, like blah, 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 blah. And at least the first few months of having some money is like, it amplifies the best and the worst in you. Like, I thought I'm instantly going to be healthy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just such a stupid concept because like, now I have the money, but then it's like, oh no, like. It makes it easier to get healthy, you know, in terms of these, like I have a coach and all this other stuff now, but like, I think it's also like, oh no, I love working. <laughs> like I love working so That's much. Right. <laughs> like, and I'm so thankful. I told Jenny like years ago, like, this is not going to change. Yeah, I don't like, care what happens. It doesn't happens, not changing. Kids, I work. Whatever. Yeah. Like. It's not like, uh, oh, this is a few years and like, well, you're blah. one of those human beings where like, you don't feel like you're a productive person or member of society unless you actually freaking work. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I feel like it's a duty thing too, but that's a whole nother podcast. But I think like, yeah, I think that's the thing of like, oh, cool. And, and what I will, maybe this is what we'll end on. We're going to end on like, at least not fun for us or for others. Um, so before going into the acquisition conversation, Talked to 30 founders who had exits. I asked, I gave them kind of the scope. Would you raise money to keep going or would you sell? Half of them said raise money, keep going. They regretted selling. They have the money. So whatever, you know, are they truthful? Who knows? The other half said, no, take the sale. Of the folks who said they would not have sold and they would have raised money and kept going, about half of them just like left the company, like here are the keys, see ya. So there's a lot of regret there. And then of those eight, three of them became drug addicts or alcoholics and like they're all good now like they all got help it's like one of them had multiple stints in the most expensive rehab in the world which is kind of crazy to think about but it's kind of like i don't know i think that there's like we're wired a certain way so a lot of founders listen to this a lot of operators listen to this and it's like you got to understand what you want who you are because it's it's probably not going to change. Like the things around it will change and it'll amplify certain things, but you're probably not going to change. And, you know, giving up the thing for some liquidity is definitely the right move for a lot of people. But like, it's not instantly going to take away that like drive that you have, which I think some people fear. And, and it also I've has seen some plenty of people it, so. go through this journey where they get out, so to speak, do their stint wherever they are. And then one of my buddies, like he became president of a public company after selling his company for a significant amount of money many years later 
after even trying a couple other startups himself and probably realizing that he doesn't want to do that again. But then why is he at this public company as the president of the company, right, after all that? Well, it's because, like, he can't not work eventually. That's at least how I think most people who even make it that far with, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, so to speak, feel, right, um, where they have to go back to something, um, and then they go do that. Um, so I've seen that over and over and over again. I'm fairly certain it's pretty public. Like Johnny and Johnny Ives has been talking about this, like since the death of Steve Jobs, where it's like he was struggling for a while. I'm not going to go into those things because they're not fun, but like he was struggling. Like he went and did his own firm. Like, can you imagine working at that level? And then your partner dies. And then like Tim Cook is great, but different. You know, Tim Cook is an operation guy. Like he's a logistics. You're not. Guy. You're not going to get the, the like, same let's creative juice that you get. He got from Steve Jobs that brought out his creativity. You know, they obviously worked extremely well together. Seems sounds like every day, and that was like joy. It was literal joy for him. Yeah. Is what it sounds like. And it was and, hard, but it was joy. And, and basically, yeah. you know, you know what they say about this. Like once someone's out of your life, basically a piece of your brain is missing. Shuts down. Yeah. That's so crazy. they say stuff like that. And so I think he was experiencing all kinds of factors of that for so long. Yeah. You know, you're totally right about just us as humans. It's not exactly the money. It's, it's more so the, the freedom that you're not used to, you don't understand. And it's not, it's not financial freedom as much as it is. Oh crap. What do I do now? Right. At least in your case, you're like, we're still on a mission. Companies on a mission, teams on a mission, right? This, this acquisition happened because, there is a one plus one equals three as you all work together. Right. And I think that's really cool and really helpful for you actually, uh, in a bunch of ways. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, those are some fun things to, to end on, I suppose, but yeah, fun stuff. We'll get back to some forward looking stuff, uh, next week, but, um, pod is back. Yeah, we're back. Yeah. Pod is back. Yeah. I also got a haircut. I know your news was way bigger, but I got a haircut. Dude, that is the news <laughs> to end on. And your video quality is still high, but I can't see you because of your connection probably. So I can't even admire oh, it. Oh, no. I do. You do look cleaner. You, last week yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, you, yeah. You've, like, cut the you've cleaned up. After two yeah, and a half yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That long. Wild. All right, homie. It's a wrap. Love you, bud. Deuces. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about Tradeoffs, a podcast from Paddle Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 